0: All right, you social butterflies, let's bring it back. I'm Chuck Coughlin, I'm here, so whatever happens, it's Frank's fault. (laughs) Uh, So, we have a women's summer uh, social this Thursday, should be hopefully on the screen behind me, Uh, 6.30 to 7.30 p.m. here in the sanctuary. We uh, hope that uh, women can join one another in uh, the church and develop deeper and stronger relationships uh, to support one another. Uh, We also, uh, crazily enough, have been in this building five years now? Five years. I remember the hot, sweaty day riding in Cody's truck, bringing things over here. That was pretty crazy. So we're still here five years later and still praying for Cody. So that's a good thing. Uh, Let's see. Let's uh, so join everybody for cookies out on the patio afterwards uh, after that, uh, after the service today. Uh, And let's uh, please stand for a reading uh, of the gospel from Mr. Ben himself, the Lord of Voices.
1: That was weird. Okay. So, <laughs> the reading for today is from Nehemiah chapter eight, verses 13 through 18. On the second day, the, head, the heads of father's houses of all the people with the priests and the Levites came together to Ezra the scribe in order to study the words of the law. And they found it written in the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month, and that they should proclaim it and publish it in all their towns and in Jerusalem, go out to the hills and bring branches of olive, wild olive, myrtle, palm, and other leafy trees to make booths as it is written. So the people went out and brought them and made booths for themselves, each on his roof and in their courts and in the courts of the house of God and in the square of the water gate and the square of the gate at Ephraim. And all the assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booths and lived in the booths, for from the days of Jeshua the son of Nun to that day the people of Israel had not done so, and there was very great rejoicing. And day by day, from the first day to the last day, he read from the book of the law of God. They kept the feast seven days, and on the eighth day there was a solemn assembly according to the rule. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated.
2: Amen. Thank you, Ben. Appreciate the reading. And thank you, worship team and Chuck. It's been a good morning to be together with the Lord already. Uh, We are celebrating uh, this fifth anniversary in the building. My name is Tyler Thompson. I'm the pastor of worship and communities here at Redemption Arcadia. So I spend most of my time with the worship ministry and small group ministries. And I'm also part of the preaching rotation. So thankful to be able to do that with you here today. Uh, we do celebrate the five years in this building, and not only the five, three, five years of this building, but we celebrate uh, what it is that God has done in this building uh, with us, the people of God, for these five years, and what he will continue to do in this building th- through us, the people of God, for the coming five years and beyond. Uh, we, we renew our thankfulness for what God is doing in this building among his people, And it's good timing for us to be in Nehemiah chapter 7 and 8 this morning because there's something similar going on there where they've completed the walls and there's sort of a question where they're saying, well, well, now what? We've built this thing. Now what do we do? And we'll find that the answer in Nehemiah chapter 7 and Nehemiah chapter 8 is that what we're going to do is we're going to be renewed in our covenant with God. And there's a similar thing here that we can think through as well as the people of Redemption Arcadia, that we are a people who are being renewed in our covenant with the Lord as we gather together with each other and with him here this morning. Amen? Amen. Amen. So you can turn in your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 7. We're going to go from 7 through chapter 7 and through chapter 8. And I do recommend that you read this on your own at some point as well, uh, because there's a lot of verses here for us to go through. Uh, But Nehemiah here is, there's a renewal of the covenant that the Lord is actually doing with his people after the building of the wall. And the one sentence summary of the sermon for today is this, that the word of God renews us as a covenant community, he forms us into the image of Christ for the sake of the world. I'll say that again, the word of God renews us as a covenant community, and he forms us into the image of Christ for the sake of the world. And we praise God that he does that with us. This first thing that we're going to see here today in Nehemiah chapter 7, in these first five verses, is that God, the word of God, renews us as a covenant community, few in number, but large in appointment. Few in number, but large in appointment. Nehemiah chapter 7, now when the wall had been built, and I had set up the doors, and the gatekeepers, the singers, and the Levites had been appointed... I gave my brother Hananiah and Hananiah, the governor of the castle, charge over Jerusalem. For he was a more faithful and God-fearing man than many. And I said to them, let not the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun is hot. And while they are still standing guard, let them shut and bar the doors. Appoint guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem, some at their guard posts, and some in front of their own homes." The city was wide and large, but the people within it were few, and no houses had been rebuilt. Then my God put it in my heart to assemble the nobles and the officials and the people to be enrolled by genealogy. I love this. A few things that I just want to point out to us as we start to think about how God is renewing us as a covenant community is that the word of God renews us as a covenant community that is few in number, but large in appointment. There's a a saying around Redemption Church that is that we have a commitment to being small. And that is that we are not going to think more highly of ourselves than we ought. And that's ingrained here in this passage as we see that the people of God here are few. They are small. They are little. There's less listed here than you might hope for in a genealogy. And yet the appointment that God has for them is Large what the calling he has for the people of God, is huge. That though we are small, our calling in the Lord is large. And so I love this, that Nehemiah is talking about how after they've built the walls, after they put in the doors, all of the people took their various places where they needed to be for the calling of God to go forward. And you mention here that we have gatekeepers, we have Levites, we have singers There's naturally gonna be a little bit of theology of worship in this text. That there are people appointed in the various places to carry out the calling of the Lord the way that he has them doing so. What that means is that there are no small parts for the people of God. And if you are a fan of theater, which I am, a famous saying is that there is no such thing as small parts. In other words, we all have our parts to play that God has entrusted to us, and each one of us is going to bring what we can to that part. That means that if you are here today, you are necessary for the people of God and what he's doing with us today. And that is the truth not only for those of you that are in this room, but for those that are scattered as well. Yes, the church is a church scattered. And so, those that are watching online and those that are praying across the world, we are all a part of one body of God from, for whom there are no small parts. Yes, each one of us is small, but the appointment that we have in God is large. And so, that means that if you are gathered or scattered as the body of Christ, what he has for you is indeed large in appointment. And so I love that this is laid out for us after the walls are, are completed, that everybody is in their proper place, appointed by God for their proper function. And I'll just point out a couple of other things in this first few verses. It says that his brother Hananiah and Hananiah the governor of the, the castle charge over Jerusalem was a more faithful and God-fearing man than many. I'll just point out briefly here that we we count character as more important than charisma. And that's a theme that a lot of people are talking about right now in Christian circles, but Nehemiah understood that the character of the person mattered more than the charisma of the person. Yes, charisma matters. It matters for us to be present and to be vivacious and to be alive and energetic and, and passionate about what God has us doing, but the character of the person matters more than the charisma. And we saw this here in Nehemiah, as well as countless other places in scripture, where God first looks at the heart rather than the outward appearance. A last thing about these first few verses is that they're about to recount then a genealogy of what goes on uh, with the people that were there. Now, for sake of time, I'm not gonna have Ben read, and I'm not gonna read all of those names that are there in the genealogy. If we were doing something uh, where we were just going to focus on that text, I would. But suffice it to say, there were a lot of people that were there, and they're recounting this for a few reasons. One is to, to ground this in reality, in a very, re- very real time and place, where there, these were actual people that were engaging in this way. So it's, this is a, to ground this in a real time and place with real people. A second thing is this. We see in this genealogy that there is a tradition being handed down from from people to people. That means that there's responsibility for the people of God to be able to carry on the purposes of God in their time and place. So not only do you matter for being here this morning, but each of you matters for being used by the Lord for the purposes that he has for you. And that may look like passing on this faith that you have to a next generation. There's a lot of babies that have been born here over the last year at Redemption Arcadia. And we have that responsibility to pass that faith faith covenant community on to the next generation. That the God will use his people in that way. So we find that the word of God, it renews us in covenant community, few in number, but large in appointment. The second thing that we find is this. The word of God renews us as a covenant community who can't prove our worth, but that offers what we have. And we're going to see this in, in verses 61 through 65 of chapter 7. So what, I, what I've skipped here now is a bunch of names. And there's a lot more there to it that we could go into depth in on another time, but we've skipped a bunch of names. It was sort of like saying, well, yeah, Peter and Keeley were there. Yeah, yeah, and the Switzers were there. Yeah, 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 and Canoe was there. It's sort of like saying, these are the people in the community that you know. If you don't know the names in a genealogy, it might not mean a lot to you. But if you know the names in the genealogy, there's all kinds of stories and tradition and history that goes on to it. That you know and you remember when you hear that name. Oh yeah, you remember that one time. Remember that one time when Deb was at that place and she did that funny thing? You remember, you remember that story about how God did this really amazing thing through Pat and Jim? When you know the names in the genealogy, you connect with it all of these times that God worked through his people in a way that's very oftentimes miraculous, celebratory, difficult, sorrowful. So we come to the Lord as a people who can't prove our worth to him and what he's doing, but we offer what we have to him. Listen to what it says in, in 761. The following were those who came up from Tel-Malah, tel Harsha, Cherub, Adon, and Immer, but they could not prove their father's houses nor their descent, whether they belonged to Israel. The sons of Deliah, the sons of Tobiah, the sons of Nakoda, 642, also of the priests, the sons of Hobiah, the sons of Hakoz, the sons of Berzillai, who had taken a wife of the daughters of Berzillai the Gidalilite and was called by their name. These sought their registration among those enrolled in the genealogies, but it was not found there, so they were excluded from the priesthood as unclean. The governor told them that they were not to partake of the most holy food until a priest with Urim and Thamim should arise. I point out this part of the geology for this reason. The whole section beneath, before that are people that you, they would have expected to have been there, who could have proven that they were a part of the family. And this section is included to say there were all of these people who couldn't prove that they belonged, but there was going to be a way for them to be a part of the community through the actions of a later priest. Now. If you're reading this through a Christological lens, we see that Christ is the one who is the priest, the great high priest, who makes it possible for us to be included as a part of the family of God, though we can't prove that we belong there. Isn't that beautiful? Because none of us in this room can actually go back and trace the fact that we belong as a part of this family. We can't go back far enough with our history to say that we belong as a people of God, of God, And what this points to is this points to our great high priest who has made a way for us to be included among the number of the people of God. We find that we are, we are all a people who can't prove our worth, but that we offer what we have to the Lord. Covenant people, then, are a people who are established with God as a people who have rights and responsibilities, a people of God who are going to participate with him in his purposes, As they go forward. So we find that we are a covenant community that is renewed by the word of God through what we have to offer and this great high priest who makes it possible that we will be a part of the family. Verse 66 says this The whole assembly together was 42,360, besides their male and female servants, of whom there were 7,337. And they had 245 singers, male and female. Their horses were 736, their mules 245, their camels 435, and their donkeys 6720. It's really important to know how many donkeys there were. Now some of the heads of the father's houses gave to the work. The governor gave to the treasury 1,000 derricks of gold, 50 basins, 30 priests' garments, and 50 minas of, 500 minas of silver. And some of the heads of fathers' houses gave into the treasury of the work 20,000 darks of gold and 2,200 minas of silver. And what the rest of the people gave was 20,000 darks of gold, 2,000 minas of silver, and 67 priests' garments. So the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, some of the people, the temple servants, and all Israel lived in their towns. And when the seventh month had come, the people of Israel were in their towns." I love this scene as well because we see that the people of God offer what they have. They're contributing to the work of what God is doing. Remember in the previous passage, we find that their homes had not yet been built. That's significant because there is a general biblical principle in the word of God repeatedly that we want to give first to the kingdom of what God is doing and then to our own private home. That we offer him the first fruits of what we have. We build the the walls of God's house before we build the walls of our own homes. And the people here are doing that as well. That though they could not prove their worth, many of them, to belong, they offered up what they had for the sake of what God was doing. And that God would use what they had. One of the things that we see here as well is that it's not helpful for us to to destroy or break down or to tear down unless we plan on rebuilding. There's a a big movement in faith right now about deconstruction of our faith. And there may be some helpful things in that movement, but unless we have plans to reconstruct on the cornerstone of who God is, we're in trouble. We can't just break down. We have to be rebuilt In the Lord. And yes, Jesus is the better builder. So the Word of God renews, this is the third thing the Word of God renews us as a covenant community, not just listening, but responding in obedience. And I love this in what we see in chapter 8, and this is what Ben read for us earlier. There's sort of this moment where they're like, we've rebuilt the walls, now what? And the answer is that we are going to be renewed by the word of God so that we understand what his purposes are for us. Chapter 8, verse 1 says this, And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. Now, the water gate, that's significant. Water being a source of life, the source of living. They're gathering here by the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. They had for themselves this... This desire, once they've built the walls and they've gathered together and they've given their offering and they're figuring out what's next, they had this desire for God's word to be read, for his law. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't have this same desire for God's law in my life. But the people of of Israel understood God's law to be something that was life-giving, you see that all throughout the Psalms, that the, the, the words of the Lord, that the laws of the Lord, the statutes of God are something that are life to the believer, life to the person of God, life to the community of God. And so the people, they gather and they, they, they're demanding, desiring, asking for, pleading for God's law to be read. It's a beautiful thing. And it really changes our, our view of what we think the law is in Scripture, so Ezra, verse 2, the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And all ears and the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. So they read from early morning to the midday, that's a little bit of a, a nice time span there. I was, re- I was thinking about this morning that, that Sunday mornings, uh, are, for me, are just so very rich because they start pretty early in the morning. And there's worship rehearsal. And there's people that come in for a meeting about how the production, the lights and the sound are going to go. And then we have a prayer time together. Many of you come to a Sunday prayer time. By the time we get through that S- Sunday prayer time, it's like God's already done a lot of amazing, cool things before we even get to the service. And then we have the service, and God does a, lot, a bunch of things there. And in the second service, God does it again. Like what we just sang God, you move the mountains, and we know that you're going to do it again. That it's not just the one time. And then after church, there's oftentimes people that are sticking around and having these wonderful times of prayer and these times of, of, of discussion with each other and fellowship. That God's doing this work from the very early morning hours until the, the end of the day and through the night. It's a good reminder for us that he continually is working in our lives. And they sat and they listened from morning until midday, or they, they, they probably stood for much of that time or all of that time as the, as the law was being written, uh, read. And Ezra, verse 4, the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for that purpose. It's interesting that that platform that Ezra stood up to, to be able to have his voice project is sort of like thinking about what we're doing here with the platform here. And beside him stood Mattathiah, Shema, uh, or Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and the Messiah on his right hand, and Padaiah, Mishael, Malkijah, Hashem, Hashbedanah, Zechariah, and Meshalem on his left hand. See, that's what you would have been in for if we had read the whole genealogy. <laughs> Only it would have gone on from, for hours. So again, they're mentioning people here that are here as part of this process that lends reality to it in a way that is helpful for us to understand. That as this reading is going on, it's not just Ezra that is participating, but that the whole congregation is participating. All of the people that are there, including these folks that are mentioned, that are there on his left hand. Verse 5, and Ezra opened the book on this, in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. I just want to point out here how physical all of this is. And we get into trouble sometimes when we demand that our worship be physical because we know that it's about the heart and we know that we can make a show of our outside movements and our gestures without our hearts being changed. As It says, uh, Isaiah said, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. So we know we have to be careful about, about being overly expressive out here without there being any heart change. But oftentimes we've gone to the other extreme where we think it's all about our heart and only about our heart. But I love how physical this is, that from the heart was overflowing these physical actions, these physical words, this speaking. Again, we said this last week, for those of you that were here, that God desires to revitalize and use our head, our hearts, and our hands, our whole selves that we offer to him in worship. And so the people are doing this. They're they're shouting amen, they're lifting up their hands, they're bowing their heads, and they're worshiping the Lord with their faces to the ground. It's very physical that God cares about our whole selves. It's why Paul will say in Romans 12 that we offer our very bodies as a sacrifice to the Lord. He could have said a lot of things there, but he said we offer our very bodies, our very selves to the Lord. Verse 7, and Jeshua, Benai, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shebathai, Hodiah, Messiah, Kaleida, Azariah, Jozabad, Hanan, Paliah, the Levites, helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. There's a, just a note there that there are people all around the people of God that can help you to understand the word of God. And so these people are, are, are um, listed as those who would come alongside the people of God to be able to help understand what's being read. The Bible is something that is accessible to all people, and sometimes we need the help of our brothers and sisters, our fathers and our mothers, to be able to help us understand what's going on. That The Spirit of God might use these people to help us understand what it is that's being read. Verse 8, They read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. That's important. We want to make sure that we're understanding what's going on. Verse 9, and Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe. Just note real quick, there was an accusation that, Ezra, that, that there was going to be, uh, Nehemiah was hoping to set himself up as king. For those of you who remember the passage from, from chapter 6, the, the accusation was that Nehemiah is to help to, wants to set himself up as king, and here we're understanding that no, he was the governor. That's intentional. He's taken a place, he and Ezra and the other Levites have taken a place that is more helpful for the people of God and the community in general. And Ezra the priest and the scribe, this is verse 9, And the Levites who taught the people said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Now imagine that, a group of people being read the law and they're just weeping at what God has to say in the law, what we oftentimes think about as as rules. The people are hearing these things and are just weeping. I thought for for a few moments about about what what was that, and we talked a little bit at Preaching Collective about what's, what's triggering the crying here. And part of it is that as they heard the words of the law again, they reoriented themselves to who they were in the story of God. As they're hearing the the words of the law, the people are understanding again their place in what God is doing in all space and time. And that should be the the response that we have as well when we hear the word of God. Today. That as we hear, when we gather on Sundays, when we read the words on our own during the week, when we hear the words of the Lord, that we are reorienting ourselves to who we are in the story of what God is doing in the world. And that we're a part of it. Somebody else said, "Well, maybe it's like sort of like how we felt when we came back from COVID, and we hadn't had the, the worship services in person for such a long time, and then we came back, and we were thrilled to be in the presence of God and in God's people." And I think that's going on there as well—that there truly is this sense that there's no better place for the Christian to believe than in God's to, to be than in God's house with God and with His people. And that we don't take it for granted, but instead that we reorient ourselves to who we are and what God is doing with us. We sang the song earlier, day and night, night and day, let incense rise. This picture of saints and angels standing before the throne just singing praises to God over and over and over again. And it's not going to be like the boring harps that we hear about in heaven. But it will be thrilling and meaningful and significant to where we are praising the Lord for all eternity as God's people. So there's a foretaste of that here as the, word of, as the book of the law, the words of the law is being read to the people. There's a foretaste of what that will be for all eternity with God. Verse 10, then he said to them, go your way. Eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready for this day is holy to the Lord. And do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. There's that verse. We we quote that verse over and over and over again. The joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And it's within the context of knowing who we are in relation to what God is doing with his people that we understand that this joy of the Lord is our strength. Because we're rooted and established in this covenant that we have with God. Knowing that no matter what comes our way, that we have this faithfulness of our God that we've been singing about today. That we renew ourselves, that God renews us through this process of meeting with him and with with each other. And the word being written so that we are able to rejoice in the Lord no matter what it is that we're facing. Praise God for that. And so he says, do not grieve. Rejoice. We need to get better at celebrating as Christians. We just do. We need to get better at being able to be rejoicing in the Lord, regardless of what it is that we're facing. And I love this saying, go and eat the fat and drink the sweet wine and, and, then, and then give portions to anybody else who doesn't have them. So that everybody can participate in the, in the rejoicing. The people of God ought to have so much celebration available that it just spills out to the others around. That the world is is benefited by this people of God who are rejoicing in, in their God. Verse 11, so the Levites calmed all the people saying, be quiet for this day is holy, do not be grieved. Verse 12, and all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. So they they rejoiced because they understood what was being saying. And I love this. There's this sense where the people of God are told in Scripture to do something, and so they do it. It's a novel novel idea. God's Word says this. Well, I guess that's what we're going to do. And it reminds me of what James says in James chapter 1. Be, be you doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres being no, not a hearer who forgets but a doer who acts he will be blessed in his doing. Friends, we don't want to be a people like that who look in the mirror and then when we walk away, we immediately forget who we are. In other words, the word of God tells the people of God what they're supposed to be like for the sake of the word. And so we hear the word and we say, okay, God, you said it, we'll do it. I was thinking about this this week as well and about how... We don't often do this. Sometimes we think that the memorization of the, of the scripture is enough. Will I memorize this? And Francis Chan has this great, <laughs> this great whole analogy about how if God told me to go clean my room and I came back and I said, well, I memorized that I cleaned my room. And God, God says, did you clean your room? And I say, well, no, but I memorized that you told me to clean my room. That that wouldn't actually probably satisfy God. And so I was thinking about that this week, and I thought, there, there are times that we actually do this as well. And so if I said to you right now that I have a Bible verse in my mind, I'm thinking about a Bible verse in my mind, and I'm going to think about it right now, okay? Like, that was awesome for me. (Laughter) <laughs> how was that for you guys? (laughs) It wasn't great, right? It wasn't great. Because you don't know what verse I'm thinking about. You could be thinking that I was thinking Judas hung himself. (laughs) Which is a tragedy. But it wouldn't be very good for you. It's good for me because I'm thinking about the scripture in my mind. You heard the story of the guy who opened up the Bible and it got to Judas Hung Himself and he was going to do whatever God told him to do in that picture. (laughs) I used to think that that joke was funny and then I thought, man, this is a real, like, like people actually do this. People actually open up the scripture. Well, one, people actually harm themselves, which is a very sad thing. And what we want from the word of God is to inform those folks as well. But people actually do open up the scripture and think, well, I'm just going to do whatever I do. That's why we need actually those people that we were just talking about to come alongside of us and say, hey, here's here's what this verse says. This is how we understand what this verse is meaning. We need the community of Christ to understand, the community of God to understand what it is that his scripture is telling us so that we might obey in a proper way. So I'm thinking about this verse. And it was great for me, but it wasn't as great for you because it's just in my mind. And now I'm going to say it out loud. Okay? Come let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our God, our maker. Hallelujah. Now that's a different thing. How was that for you that time? Better, right? Because I've not only thought about it in my my mind, but I've said it with my lips. And now it's a communal thing. Now there's something that we're participating in together as one who is speaking the word and those who are hearing the word. Now, I thought to myself, that's great and that makes it communal, but that maybe doesn't go far enough either. Because what is the verse saying? The verse is saying, come let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our God our maker. And that's a different thing too. Now, we could fake it. Yeah, come let us worship and bow down. Come let us kneel before the Lord, God our maker. But it's a different thing when we're on our knees as we say that to the Lord and with one another. And then I thought to myself, well, there's another step still. Because I can do this, but wouldn't it be better if we all did that and we said this together what if i invited you guys to kneel and we say this scripture together so so what if we what if i invited you guys to kneel and we said this scripture together right so let's say this together, and let's make this a prayer of our hearts, of our minds, and of our bodies. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our God, our maker. And, and all of a sudden, we have a people of God who are captured by the Lord in their hearts, and their minds, and their bodies, and it's a different thing. It's just a different thing. And we don't have to do it all the time like that. But there's a reason that as we gather with the Lord, that you're here and not sitting in front of your screen at home. It's because it's a different thing. And for those of you that are sitting in front of your screen at home, I hope you're doing this with us. Because that is, that is helpful too. It may not be the same thing, but it's helpful too. That we are a people who are being renewed as we meet with God and with each other. And sometimes our bodies can keep us from doing that. Because I'll sit, think it in my mind, I'll say it with my mouth, but maybe my body's holding me back from actually being a hearer and doer of the word, yeah? You, you, can, you can stand, you can sit. You can stand too if you want. <laughs> Thank you for doing that with me. I, I had these, I had these uh, horrific thoughts about what if I asked them to do that and then nobody did it? <laughs> And I thought, well, let's pray and go home. <laughs> God is renewing us as this covenant community in a way that is just beautiful and that I can't do by myself, but that we do together as a people of God. This was uh, some content from Mike Goheen, who, who I mentioned last week, came and gave us some ways to think about Nehemiah as we're preparing for preaching. And, and Mike talks about us as a community in several different ways. I just want to read this. He says that we're a restored community. We're restored to place, identity, and vocation in God's story, but a new context. We are a committed community, a people who are committed to God and his people in an age where church is diminished. We're a joyful community, a people who joyfully pour forth effort for God's purpose, in an age of paralysis and apathy. We're a subservient community where we, where obedience to the word is in a new setting as minority and powerful pagan empire. Let me say that one again. The people of God, in many contexts where the scripture was read, written, were surrounded by pagan empires and oppressed by pagan empires. And so we... The community of God has often been a community that is subservient to those who don't know God, and yet we show obedience to the word in that. We are a distinct community, set apart in an age of syncretism and compromise, just where we want to blend in with what, whatever else is going on out there. We're a worshiping community, a people of rich worship and praise in an age of narcissistic preoccupation with self and entitlement. We're a listening community, a people who seriously attend to the biblical story and discipleship, worship, and preaching in an age dominated by the humanist story. We're an obeying community, a people who commit and align themselves with God's purpose revealed in that story in an age of distraction. We're a Christocentric community, a people centered in Christ, his death, and his resurrection as the only hope for the renewal of humanity in an age of other ideologies, other ideologies that, tend, that claim to give us hope for renewal. Christ is the only one. Uh, we're a missional community, of people who take up their vocation to be the new humanity in all their lives for the sake of the world. That's the kind of community that we are as the people of God. That's the kind of community that are referenced here in Nehemiah 7 and 8. And yes, we will still fail, Nehemiah 13 is coming. Yes, we will still fail, but we will be a people who are renewed by the Word of God as we continue to meet with Him and with each other and do what His Word says for the sake of the world. We will be a people who embody the gospel of Jesus in all the areas of our life. Notice that word embody. We put into the body the gospel. Last thing is this, and it's the most important. Jesus, the word of God, renews us as a covenant community through rivers of living water. Now, I loved this when I saw this in the text because this whole time we're thinking about the words of the law, the words of God's word, etc. And it dawns on me as I'm looking at this portion of the text that Jesus is the very word of God and that he himself is the one who is renewing us Verse 13 of chapter 8 in Nehemiah, this is going to help us understand what's going on. On the second day, the heads of the fathers' houses of all the people, this is the part that Ben read, with the priests and the Levites came together to Ezra the scribe in order to study the words of the law, and they found it written in the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month. And that they should proclaim it and publish it in their towns and in Jerusalem, go out to the hills and bring branches of olive, wild olive, myrtle, palm and other leafy trees to make booths booths as it is written. So the people went out and brought them and made booths for themselves, each on his roof and in their courts and in the courts of the house of God and in the square at the water gate and in the square at the gate of Ephraim. And all those, and the assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booths and lived in the booths. For from the days of Jeshua, the son of Nun, to that day the people of Israel had not done so. And there was very great rejoicing. And day by day, from the first day to the last, he read from the book of the law of God. They kept the feast seven days, and on the eighth day there was a solemn assembly according to the rule. A few things here. One, I just love again this. They found in the law that they're supposed to go make booths. And so they went and made booths. Sometimes it's just that simple for us. Sometimes we don't need all of the interpretation about, well, what does this mean and this mean and this mean? When God says, go make the booths, he means, go make the booths. (laughs) And so we do. And I, I, I was a part of a Messianic congregation in Southern California for a number of years that actually would still do this annually as a way of reminding themselves of what God had done here. That there's a way of sort of renewing our minds, our hearts, our hands by doing again what it is that we find in the word of God. And this is what they're doing. And there was great rejoicing for this purpose. Now, the fact that the eighth day, they do this seven days, and then the eighth day there's a solemn assembly. We, we actually have been talking about this kind of thing in John for those of you who have have, have been following with us in in the Gospel of John, that in the Gospel of John, Jesus actually is at the Feast of Booths, likely, and he stands up on the last day of the feast and he says, I'm the living water. He says, I'm the one that you need to come to for renewal. John 7, verse 37 and 38, On the last day of the Feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Isn't that amazing? That Jesus is standing up on the festival. This is now years after Nehemiah. Nehemiah is looking back to years before that, where they're they're recounting what to do in the law. This timelessness of of this God that we serve is just incredible to me. And so Jesus stands up on the last day of the faith, and he says, if you're thirsty, come to me. Remember, they're standing outside the water gate. And he says, I I will give and I will put in your heart rivers of living water that you might be renewed as a people. In other words, Jesus is this very word of God that is going to renew us by the power of his spirit to the glory of God the Father. That we will be a people who are renewed by him, that we won't forget what we look like. Because of this streams of living water that's coming through, coming out of our heart. And I like that Jesus even says there, as the scripture has said. In other words, he's referencing back to the fact as, as just like the word of God has said, just like we have in, just, like, just like I have said in the past, is basically what he's saying. That word of God applies now in this situation as you understand that I am the word of God. What a beautiful picture, that the word of God never returns empty or void, but that Jesus himself is going to be renewing us by this river of water. I had help from Stephanie Schumaid in picking this last verse, so I want to give her credit. Paul understands that that's what's happening here for the people of God as we are renewed in our covenant with him by the word of God. Paul says in Romans 8, verse 29, and by the way, this is after Romans eight twenty eight. It's the verse that comes after that one, which is that what? All things work according to the good of those who love him, and are called according to his purpose, right? God, God is able to make all things that you go through be a, a source of transformation, a source, source of uh, renewal even for you. This is what 29 says. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that we might be the firstborn among many brothers. This community of God is renewed by the living water that Jesus has to offer as the word of God. And we want to be a people who are being renewed as we meet with him and with each other today and all the days that are coming in the future. So as we celebrate this five years in this building, we want to celebrate the fact that when we say, what now, God has an answer for us. And the answer is that we are going to be a community who is continually renewed by his word. That the Father, the Son, the Spirit are going to be a source of renewal for this community that we might be conformed to the image of Christ for the sake of the world. May it be so here in this church and in all believers across the world as we attempt to join together in his purposes and what he's doing, both now and forevermore. Friends, we're going to take communion at this time. And this communion is as well a way for us to reenact, to reengage, to reset, to renew. The reason that, similar to what we were seeing in Nehemiah, when Christ says, uh, as often as you meet, as often as you meet, or when, when Paul says, as often as you meet, when Christ says, do this until I come again, there's an understanding that this, this habit, this rehearsal, this Renewal that we do during communion is a way for God to renew his community as we meet with him and with each other. And so it's why we put such an emphasis on communion is because we want to be a people who are weekly, if not daily, reminded of the fact that he did go to his death for us, he was buried, and he rose again on the third day. That we might participate with him and that we might receive the blessing of Christ as we take communion together. So there are kits here in the front that we'd ask that if you'd come forward, we want to be a people who are re- renewed both our minds, our hearts and our bodies. So we're going to ask you to move at this time. We'd love for you to come forward one row at a time to receive the communion. you can bring it back to your, your, your chair and you can take it there as you like. and we'll respond as well with worship and with prayer. There'll be people at the fronts that would love to pray at the front sides that would love to pray for you. But may we take this bread, a symbol of God's body, of Jesus' body, the cup, a symbol of Jesus' blood poured out for us, and may we be renewed as we take this communion together with the Lord and with one another. Let me pray for us. God, we do praise you that you are able to renew us, that you renew this covenant with us, that we've seen it in Nehemiah, We've seen it with Jesus, Lord, that that you're doing this even now with us as your people, that we can be a people that are a renewed covenant community. I pray, Lord, that we would be conformed to your image. I pray, Lord, that as we take the the bread and the cup, I pray your blessing on that for those who take communion, that, Lord, you would be glorified for those that have put their faith in you today, that this might be a renewal for us And friends, if you have not yet put your faith in Christ, we'd love for you to do that even today. You can find one of us, and we'd love to pray with you about that. But you can reach out to the Lord and offer your heart to him. That God might renew us, give us a new mind, a new heart, and eventually new bodies. That we might be glorifying to him and his purposes. So God, we pray that you would bless these communion elements as well as those who take. That you be glorified through us as we take communion, as we respond to you in obedience to what it is that you've said. And we pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.
3: sing one last song together, and we know this one well, so let's sing it out as we celebrate together, as we worship together this morning. Alone in my sorrow and dead in my sin. There we go. Lost without hope, with no place to begin. Love made a way to let mercy come in When death was arrested and my life began Ash was redeemed, only beauty remains My orphan heart was given a name My morning grew quiet. My feet rose to dance. When death was arrested and my life began, we sing, Oh Your grace, Oh Your grace, so free washes over. rejoice as though heaven had lost but pain-
4: Amen. Well, thank you guys for being here and worshiping with us. It was, um, an honor to have you with us. If you're new, uh, my name's Trey. I'd love to meet you in the back. Today is Orientation Sunday, which means if you haven't been oriented with our church yet, come and get oriented get to know, um, about us and, uh, I can answer any questions you have. I'm also going to take a little jog around the, not a jog, a slow walk, um, around the campus with you if you'd like. Yeah. And it'll be like 10 minutes, and then we'll end on the patio where we have these delicious cookies. Because today is the fifth anniversary of being in this building. Well, yesterday was, but yeah. Yes. Um, But we're celebrating today, uh, and you can come join us for that. And then we'll have some people um, from the staff there that you can meet. And uh, just something to say about the cookies. Uh, We partner with a ministry. I know I do love cookies, but we partner with a ministry. called hustle phoenix and uh the woman who made those cookies was somebody who graduated from hustle phoenix was actually um hustler of the year (laughs) that's a real thing if yeah i know i want that title too but (laughs) i i don't have it so she does well anyway try her cookies um if again if you're new or you've been coming for a little bit and you want to learn more i'd love to meet you um let me uh, pray our benediction over us, and then we'll go. May the Lord direct your hearts in the love of God and in the steadfastness of Christ. Amen. Go and live all of life all for Jesus, guys. We'll see you next week.